0: So, so yesterday, I, I had to uh, make a very difficult decision. At least in my mind, it was very difficult. And it was a decision that I really didn't want to make. And it was a, a decision that affected a number of people in this church. I wasn't really happy with having to make this decision, but I made it anyway. And that was the decision not to have Sunday school. And uh, part of the reason why I made that decision, there's, there's four different reasons. And each one by itself would not be enough for me to say, let's not have Sunday school. But one was because there were so many kids that were sick. And you look around, you see, we see one. We've got two young adults that are pretty much adults. That's how I kind of look at them. So I say, we we have one kid. But if it was just because kids were sick, everybody else who could be was here, we would have had had Sunday school like normal. Uh, The next reason was because of basketball. Because there are so many kids gone with basketball, combined with kids being sick, it made it very difficult to have church. But if it was just because of basketball, We would have had church. The time change. Anybody have here forget to set your watch or your clock? Probably not because you're here, right? Um, But I know that that's one of those things that catches people off guard, even though they know that it's coming. And so that was that part that played into my decision, and also because of the roads, which I know here, it's it's not very slippery. It's not a, a very treacherous walk from the parsonage over to church. It's not that big a deal. But I know yesterday, Steve. Uh, told me that it didn't stop snowing in where he was at until 2 o'clock. And I know the roads don't get plowed that direction uh, for, on the weekends very well, or especially not at, at a convenient time. So he put all this together, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to co- make a decision to not have Sunday school, which goes against everything inside of me, because my personal philosophy is have church. If people can make it great, because I know there's people in town who can come, if you cannot make it, it's okay. Stay home. Read your Bible. Get on the line. Listen to a message because there's, there's ample sources out there. So if, just if you, if you can never make it to church, don't feel like I'm going to be judging you or I'm going to be mad at you. Just say, okay, I can't make it, but I'm going to take time to spend with God. But yesterday, as I was thinking about this and having a hard time making this decision, uh, I knew at some point I had to decide. Um, I, I could only sit on the fence for so long before I decided. I had to either decide, yes, we're going to have church, or I was going to decide, no, we're not going to have Sunday school. And if I would have sat there all day long thinking about it, I really would, And I, if I would have waited until 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and I never actually called anybody, guess what? I would have made a decision, right? I would have decided, yes, we're having Sunday school just by the fact that I didn't call and say we were not having Sunday school. And when it comes to Jesus, it's the same way. People can choose, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, or they can choose, no, I'm not going to follow Jesus. And a lot of people sit on the fence. They think, I can sit in the middle, and I can just keep putting off this idea that I need to make a decision about Jesus until later, until later. And But really, Jesus is saying at the end of this passage, Either you're on my side or you're on the other side. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral zone. And so when it comes to choosing Jesus, you you have to decide, otherwise you've already chosen. Now, you probably are sitting here thinking, you know what, I've already decided to follow Jesus. I've already made that commitment. Even before you were born, Josh, quit telling me this, you know, I've already decided. So that's one way to look at it is if you have not decided to follow Jesus, You need to make a decision because otherwise you have already made a decision there is no middle fence but if you've already decided to follow jesus look at it a different way you know people who have not decided to follow jesus i know people who are adamant like there is no way in the world i'm going to follow god i don't believe in jesus i don't want jesus and so they have decided not to follow him but there's a lot of people that you know that think they're sitting on the fence they think they're sitting in the middle and they're just putting it off. And I'll tell Jesus, or I'll commit my life to him at some point. I'll decide about Jesus at some point in the future. And so be encouraged today is to push them off the fence. They think they're sitting on the fence, push them off this fence and put them onto Jesus' side. Because if they have not decided to follow him, they have decided not to follow him. And that's ultimately where we're going to get at today in the book, book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 24 uh, to to 20 or I'm sorry, chapter 11, verses 14 to 24. So I'm going to start by reading this. And as we look through this, we're going to see that Jesus is facing three different adversaries. He's going to be facing the adversary of a demon-possessed man. He's going to be facing the adversary of the Pharisees. He's going to be facing the adversary of the devil. And ultimately, you see that Jesus wins, Jesus wins, and Jesus wins. So be encouraged, if you need to make this decision to follow Jesus... You already know, like Billy Graham, that in the end, Jesus wins. So be encouraged to pick Jesus. And if you know someone who thinks they're sitting on the fence, be encouraged to push him off the fence, get him onto Jesus' side, because Jesus wins. So this first adversary that he has to face is going to be a demon-possessed man. Verse 14 through 16 of chapter 11. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, "By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons." Others tested him by asking him for a sign from heaven. So his first, his first adversary, his first conflict, his first uh, opposition that he's going to face is the demon-possessed man. And it doesn't. The Bible doesn't obviously say much about this demon-possessed man. Just that this. This demon was able to get inside this guy's body somehow, pinch off the, the vocal cord, and so this guy could not talk. But I don't think that's all there is to it. I don't think the demon was content to just sit inside this man and say, oh, that's all I'm going to do is just keep this guy from being able to talk. Most of the time when a demon is inside of somebody, he's affecting their minds. He's, he's driving them crazy up here. It doesn't say that he's running around causing terror. It doesn't say that he's living in seclusion or that he's ripping chains off his hands like Jesus when he he cast out the demons who was uh, across the lake, and then the demons went into the herd of pigs. It doesn't describe anything like that, but I don't think this was just a a little thing that this man was demon possessed. I think this guy was being tortured inside, but now he has no voice. He can't express how he feels. He can't ask for help. He's just stuck mute because this demon is taking control of his life. It doesn't say that this man came to Jesus by himself or if his family brought him. But Jesus is having opposition with this demon inside of this man, and Jesus drives him out. Jesus pushes him out. He says, this is my turf. Get out of this man. I'm breaking down the walls. I'm taking control of this man's life. He's on my side. And there's three different responses that we get that people had about this. The first was that some people were in awe of this. They were impressed. They were shocked. They were amazed that Jesus was able to cast this demon out of this guy. Now, I bet some of those people were excited because they said, this is Jesus. He's doing the Jesus thing. His disciples had seen this before. And they were saying, we're, "We're way to go, Jesus. We're proud of you. We're amazed. Because do miracles ever get old? I don't think so. I think Jesus could do the same miracle every day, and it would not get old because it's going against what naturally is going to happen. And so there are some people who are excited about what Jesus did. Others were just impressed. They were surprised at the fact that there was this man who was able to cast out demons. And it was just something that was spectacular. It was something that was amazing that possibly they had never seen before. So that was the first response. The second response came from the Pharisees. And these guys had a a, a completely different response. They said, we're going to credit Beelzebub, the prince of demons. We're going to credit the devil with the fact that Jesus did it. Now, they had to do something. It was very obvious that this guy was mute. It was very obvious that he had been this way for some time, and all of a sudden, he is able to talk. This guy who was mute would have argued tooth and nail that, no, I was not faking this my whole life, that it was only because of Jesus that this demon left me, and now I could talk. So the, the Pharisees knew that it had to be something that really took place. This was not a show that was put on. And so they said, well, what can we, what can we do we don't want to give jesus the credit and they said the first thing that came to mind i think was the devil did it the devil did it through jesus and so what they're doing is they're crediting another source with what jesus has did and what they're doing is they're committing a form of blasphemy which is to give the devil credit for something that jesus did and that's a big no-no because that's one that's an unforgivable sin that's uh defiant irreverence and god says if you do that against the holy spirit you are not going to be forgiven. But I don't think those people who do that are going to want to be forgiven if they're willing to do that. But these guys, obviously, were not buying into the proof that Jesus did this, and they weren't going to accept it. So they said, we're going to just blame or give credit to somebody else. The third people, which is probably the most common, it was, it wasn't, weren't the people who said, yes, Jesus did this. I want to follow Jesus. It wasn't the, the Pharisees who said, no, Uh, Jesus didn't do it, it was the the devil that did it. It's these people who think they're sitting on the fence. There's people who are sitting in the middle, and they they said it was as if the miracle wasn't enough to convince them, and they said, we want to see something else, Jesus. We'd like to see you do another miracle before we, we choose sides. We don't know if this is right. We don't know if this is right. We just want to see something else. But there is no middle ground. You walk in the sanctuary, you have this aisle that nobody sits on. You can sit on the left, or you can sit on the right, but you have to pick a side. You don't sit in the middle. There is no middle ground when it comes to following Jesus. The people of that day had three different responses. They were amazed. They gave the credit to the wrong source. Or they said, I don't really know what to think. And people today act exactly the same way. When a miracle takes place, people get excited about it. You know, you think of somebody who's had cancer or some major disease or sickness, and all of a sudden they're healed. It's obviously a miracle. Even the secular world will say that shouldn't have taken place. Guess what? People get excited about it, right? My my long lost my brother who was sick is all of a sudden better. I'm going to be excited, right? My uh, somebody gets a job that was a once in a lifetime kind of job. How in the world did it happen? I don't know, but it's amazing, and I'm going to run around excited, and I'm going to tell people about it. Or picture the kind of situation where you have a little boy or a little girl who gets kidnapped. And they get, uh, they get carted across the country. They get about ready to get on a ship. And, all of a, and they're going to be taken to another country never seen again. Sold as some kind of slave. But all of a sudden, that kid gets rescued. You hear a new story like that on the news. What do people do? They get excited because all of a sudden, a miracle has taken place. How could you not be excited, right? If you have a miracle happen and some people just say i'm excited some people say praise god because i know it was god that did it but a lot of people just say yes it's an exciting story something else uh the other thing the second thing that some people do is they give credit to the wrong source now i told you with blasphemy that's what the the pharisees were doing they're giving credit to the devil for something that god did now we don't really do that that was something that was more specific to them because jesus was right there Jesus is doing these miracles, the Pharisees are right there, and they say, that's because of the devil. And that's not something that we're going to do, right? Because Jesus isn't walking around, we're not going to have that same kind of opportunity. But sometimes I wonder, how close do we get to blasphemy, of giving credit to somebody else for something that God did? Because when when somebody gets healed from cancer, or some kind of disease or sickness, what do we say? What do people generally say? Way to go, doctor. Man, that doctor had skill. Man, that doctor's good, and he, he had the ability to do that, which I agree, the doctor had that ability. Not everybody has that. Uh, if you if you have cancer, don't come to me to fix it. Right? I'm not going to do it. If you get a sliver in your hand, you probably don't want to come to me to dig that out. I don't have that skill. I don't have that ability. Doctors have that because God gave them. So you can say, way to go, doctor, but you also say, Thank you, God, or look what, the, what God did through that doctor because that doctor only has that ability because of what God gave them. When people get the job, they, who do they give the credit to? I give credit to my friend for thinking of me, for, for thinking they could connect the dots. Here's the job, here's the person. We're going to put them together. We say, wow, thank you for telling me about that job. Well, you can say thank you for telling me about that job, Would you say thank you, God, for telling him to tell me about that job, that they the job even accepted me because it wasn't the fact that he told me about it. It's the fact that God opened up the doors that I can have that job. That little kid who gets uh, carted across the country, almost gets on the boat to never be seen again, who do we, we, we give all the praise to? To the guy who opened his eyes, who, who caught a glimpse of that uh, license plate, who called the cops, who was able to get all these things set in motion. We, we trace it back to him and say, Way to go. Thank you for having the courage to make that phone call so that kid could ultimately be saved. Well, he did his job. But ultimately, who made him do it or encouraged him to do that? It was God who said, get on that phone or pay attention at just the right time so ultimately God should get the glory and the praise for that. So a lot of times people just get excited about miracles. Uh, A lot of times they credit the wrong source. And other times people say, yeah, that's nice, but they, they don't go any farther with that. They they can explain away the miracles. Or they have something, and I've heard of people who have had what seems like a miraculous experience in their life, but that's not enough to convince them that Jesus did it. They start explaining away, oh, that's why I got better. That's why this worked out for me. And they, they refuse. They say, I need to see something else in order to convince me that Jesus is really there and possibly If you try to tell people Jesus is there, and you can even look and point out to them that there was a miracle that took place, it may not be enough for them because they want to see something else. Jesus had a battle with the the demon, and we're going to come back to that. Uh, Jesus, number one, the opposition, zero. That was the first uh, adversary he faced. Jesus clearly defeated the adversary. The demon's gone. He left, and he never came back. Battle number two is with the Pharisees, and it has to do with this idea that the, the Pharisees are claiming that it was by Beelzebub that Jesus was able to cast out demons. And Jesus looked at this argument that they're giving, or this credit, and he's kind of, he's going kind to of put them to shame. Like, how illogical is this? How much sense does this really make? Uh, verses 17 through 20. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Look, guys, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself is going to fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive them out by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So there's these two Really sad arguments that Jesus looks at that they gave him, and he, he shreds them. He says this is, doesn't even make sense. The first is that any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Any house divided against itself is going to fall. I don't think it takes a too, too much imagination for us to understand that situation. If you have a king who's, who's going off to war, and you have a general, and the, you, the king says charge and the, the general says, stop, guess what's going to happen? People are going to be like, uh, do I go? Half the army's going to go. Half of them are going to stay. They're not going to know what's, what they're supposed to do. If you, if you try to tell them, I mean, if the king is setting up something and someone else is undermining that, the whole thing's going to fall apart. It, it works with, that way with the government. It works that way with your job. It works that way everywhere. I was thinking about uh, this, this musical thing uh, at the, the school on Friday. I know last year Noah went to it, and it amazed me what those kids will do. Because I can get up here and I can talk to you like it's, like it's no big deal, but they'll get in a classroom just by themselves or with a group of kids, and they'll just start singing. And I'm like, that's embarrassing to high heaven. I don't know how they do that. But I picture this, so if you happen to go to this, hopefully this will, will bring the picture to mind. If Mrs. Wegman tells the kids, I want you to sing a specific song. And so they're thinking, okay, I'm going to sing the song. Well, somebody else in the class comes and says, you know what, let's not sing that song. Let's sing something else. Okay, and so they have this mixed group. So they get up there and they start singing. They sing Jesus Loves Me, and they sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. What's that going to sound like? It is, it's going to collapse. It's going to look pathetic. It doesn't make sense. It is not going to work. Picture a basketball game. You've got three seconds left on the clock. The head coach says, hey, guys, I want you to run plan A. And then some, the, the assistant coach says, you know what, guys? Come here. I want you to run plan B. you got three seconds on the clock. What's going to happen? You're going to have a few people try to plan, uh, run plan A, people running plan B. You're going to lose. It is not going to work. In every situation, if a, if a kingdom's divided against itself, if a house is divided against itself, it's going to fall. And that's really a lame argument, but that's what they are giving to Jesus. He says, this does not work. He says, you know how bad this is? This is even true for Satan. If Satan is divided against himself, he's not going to stand. And you're, you're trying to say, me and Jesus, or me and Satan are on the same side? If Satan's saying, here, you're demon-possessed, you're demon-possessed, you're demon-possessed, he's going to wreak a lot of havoc, right? But if Jesus comes by and says, you're not demon-possessed, you're not demon-possessed, you're not demon-possessed, is Satan going to win? Is that going to make any difference? No, Satan's, I mean, how does Satan who comes to steal, kill and destroy work with Jesus who came to give us life and life more abundantly it doesn't work Jesus is proving that Satan and Jesus are not on the same side like the Pharisees are claiming the second part it says if I drive out demons by Beelzebub by whom do your followers drive them out if I happen to be doing that if, if I have the devil's help to drive out demons how do your disciples drive them out do they do it by the power of the devil those disciples of the Pharisees are going to say, no, it wasn't the, the devil that helped me do this. If, in fact, they really did drive out demons, they're going to say it was by the power of God. And they're going to judge and say, look, guys, you guys aren't even making sense here. We did it by the help of God, too. So it all goes to prove that this was really by the help of God that Jesus was able to cast out demons, that he is not working with the devil to accomplish these things. So two lame arguments. Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of, has come to you. If, in fact, I am doing this by the power of God, then you better, you better believe it. You better trust it because that means God is coming, that he's going to win the, the battle ultimately and that you guys have made the wrong choice and you need to make the right choice. Now, when he's saying the finger of God, he's not just stating the fact that God did this thing. He's referring to something that the, these guys were going to understand back from the book of Exodus. When, Jesus, or when Moses and Aaron are, are trying to get the Israelites out of Egypt, they're talking to Pharaoh, and they start doing these miracles to try to prove that God is in fact real and that Pharaoh should let them go. Back in Exodus chapter 7 and 8, the first thing you find out is that Aaron goes and he has a staff. And he's talking to the Egyptian magicians. And he's, he says, here, I'm going to prove to you that God's real. And he throws his uh, staff on the ground, and it turns into a serpent. Well, the magician says, yeah, we can do that too. And so they throw their staffs on the ground, and they turn into snakes. Aaron's staff eats their staffs, their snakes, and he picks it up, and he turns it back into a staff. But that, and they say, That's, that doesn't convince us. That was something that we can do too. The next one was when they turned... The Nile into blood Moses and Aaron did that they said we can do that too because when they they could dig by the Nile and they could get fresh water and I'm sure they're able to take that water and go abracadabra and turn it into blood or what appeared to be blood And they said that's not enough to convince us the next thing was the plague of frogs that came onto their land and Aaron stretched out his hand and all these frogs started coming out of the Nile and the, the Egyptian magician says hey you know what we can do that too and they were able to call in more frogs as well. And so they say, we're not convinced. But when it came to the gnats, that's what was next. They said, you know what, we, we can't do that anymore. And they came to the recognition that it was not themselves or another source they were able to do this. <clears throat> they used that, that exact phrase. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is not something that man did. This is obviously something that God did. And so Jesus is kind of saying the same thing. This is not something that I do on my own. I don't do it with the devil's help. I don't do it on my own. I do this with God's help. The same power that was in them is the same power that is in me. The Egyptians recognized that it was God, and guess what you need to do? You need to recognize that it was through God that I was able to do this. And oh, by the way, if it was by God, you better watch out because the kingdom of God is going to come. Now, the kingdom of God, he's not talking about this big castle with the drawbridge, with the moat around it. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about him sitting in this big chair with the latest in the scepter designs and these women dropping grapes into his mouth. He's not talking about that kind of kingdom. He's talking (coughs) about the fact that he's here. The devil has won the victory for so long, but something new is in town. And Jesus is starting to change people's lives and people are starting to turn to him. Satan has ruled, but now the tide's about to change. Ever since Jesus was born and he started doing miracles when he was older and he started preaching, lives started to change. Satan had his hold on people's lives, but all of a sudden it's starting to break free. So now we have uh, Jesus has faced the opposition of the demon and Jesus has won. Jesus has faced the opposition of the Pharisees. And Jesus won that too. And now we're going to see that ultimately Jesus wins the opposition over the devil. Verses twenty one and twenty two. It says, "When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoil." Pretty simple picture. I have my house. I, I'm as strong as I can be at the moment, right? I lift weights, I, I lock the doors, I, I have my baseball bat because I don't have a gun. Whatever it's going to take to come into my house, I'm going to protect it the best that I can. Someone comes in and says, you know, I can kick down your door and I got a gun. Guess who's stronger? Guess who's going to win and take all my stuff? That's strong, man. I'm going to be the one hiding in the corner, you know, because I can't do anything about it. In this passage, or this parable, the strong man is the devil. He's had control. And you look back at uh, this picture of Jesus driving out this demon. Jesus, the devil is the one who's the demon. He's the one who's the strong man. He had control of that man's life. The, the one who comes in who's stronger is Jesus. And the despoils are people. When Jesus comes in to the, 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 the story of the demon-possessed man, he comes in, he breaks down the door and says, this is no longer yours, this is mine. And it's, a, it's proof that Jesus is going to win. And this is going to happen over and over and over. When Jesus gets to the cross, ultimately he wins, he defeats Satan. He hasn't ultimately put uh, Satan in hell for eternity, but he is winning. He has won that war and he's going to keep winning until ultimately uh, Satan is gone for, for, for all time. But he's saying, the kingdom of God is here. You had your rule. You had your reign. It's all done. The gig's up. I, I win. You've got to surrender. You, got, if you, you Pharisees, you've got to stop looking at it as if I'm doing this from my own power, my own strength. It's only by God. Ultimately, God wins. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is stronger. And it's only going to get stronger. A friend of mine recently told me... Uh, you know, when uh, when Satan's in hell for 10,000 years, he's going to have no less days to to spend in hell. He can't mark it off and say, okay, 10,000 years done, X amount of years left. He's going to have no less days to, to, to be in hell. Just like we're in heaven, we have no less days to sing God's praise because it's never going to end. And that's exciting for us who have put our faith in him. But for people who have not, That's a very scary thought. You have no less days to, to say another day in hell. Another day in hell forever and ever. Jesus is going to win. Jesus won against the demon. He won against the Pharisees. He's going to ultimately, once and for all, win against the devil. We know the end from the beginning. Jesus wins. So let me ask, have you chosen the winning side? Have you decided that you are going to follow Jesus. Verse 23 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. There's no room for middle ground. There's no room to say, I'm just going to sit here and decide, which people do, and they think that's okay. I'm going to decide later in life whether or not I'm going to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, there is no middle ground. Whatever you think is the middle is the wrong side. Whatever you, you, if you're trusting Jesus That is the right side. There is no in-between. But that's a choice that you need to make for yourself. If I can make it for my kids, which they've made that choice, I would make it for them. I have an aunt who went to a Billy Graham crusade who said, yes, I want that. But when she got home, she says, I don't want that anymore. And she went 180 degrees the wrong way. If I can make that decision for her, I would make it. For this person in my life who says, I don't want Jesus, if I can make it for that person, I would make it. Because that's what God... that's why Jesus came. It's to die on the cross so we can have eternal life. But the choice is ours. Let me let me give you a, just a, a couple little pictures of of what this decision is like. If if I'm going to decide to make a decision, or I'm going to decide to do nothing. If you if you've ever known a kid or somebody who's drowning, you know that right now they need help, right? And if I if I go to a pool, if I go to a lake and I see somebody who's drowning, if I I have two options, right? I can jump in and try to rescue that person, and I'm, I'm trying to help them. Or I can do, I, can, I guess I can say, no way I'm not helping them, but I can just be like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to do nothing, and I could just stand there and try to make up my mind until the kid drowns. I've decided not to help them just because of the fact that I didn't do anything. When there's a fire and somebody's inside that needs to be rescued, if I run into that house to try to rescue them, I'm doing something, but if I sit on the outside and I just watch the house burn down with somebody in it, I didn't, I didn't technically say I'm not going to go in, but I chose to do nothing, and that's the same way it works with Jesus, and the same way it works with people that are out there that need to know Jesus. We, we get proactive and we go and tell them about Jesus, but if we just say, I'm just going to do nothing, I'm not going to tell people that we've already decided we're making a decision that we are not going to tell them. I think you probably understand. You're either on Jesus' side or you're not on Jesus' side. There is no room for middle ground. So I want to encourage you, pick Jesus' side, and I want to encourage you to, to help other people to get on Jesus' side because they've got to make that decision too for themselves because if they don't pick Jesus, that's it. There is no other options available. And one more thing, you know, I, I imagine everybody in here would say, you know what? I have picked Jesus. And I, I want to encourage you, like I would encourage my kids. Like I would refresh you in my memory every day. I've picked Jesus. I've got to do it with gusto, right? I don't want to just be on the team, sitting on the bench while there, someone else is playing. I want to get involved. I want to get out there. I want to, to do the best that I can on Jesus' side. If I'm going to be on that side, I don't want to encourage you to do the same thing. You pick Jesus' side. Do the best that you can with it. Uh, live his word as accurately as you can. Share it as much as you can. Live it out as much as you can, and do the best that you can on Jesus' side. Pick a side, and, and, and hopefully you pick Jesus' side, and do the best that you can with it. Share it, live it out, but please pick Jesus' side, and please encourage other people to do the same. Let's pray.